0: Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I'm your host, Ken Seymour, and today I am truly excited to bring to you a conversation with a gentleman that's going to be in an upcoming film, actually a couple of upcoming films that have uh, the potential to be pretty exciting on their own. I'm here with Joseph Poliquin. Thank you very much for joining going? us.
1: How's it going? How's it going?
0: So... Um, I have a couple questions you're from Baton Rouge originally right that's right you started in kind of a, a technical background how did you transition from that into acting or I should say transition first into music is what I understand and then into acting
1: well i I fell in love with the piano at an early age um, I didn't have like the perfect family life when I was younger so the piano was really nice it, it got me out of those uh disputes between my parents you know and whenever they were arguing i could just drown that out with piano and i I loved i loved what it did i loved that the music that i started playing would like it would calm our family and it would start entertaining you know our family so it got to a point where i was like oh i better play piano every day just so that everyone here is happy and and i was so young and uh music just i fell in love with it so when i was 16 i begged for my first guitar and once I had that guitar, I was ready. I started learning songs. I, I formed a band, and I was ready to go around the, t- the country. So I was like, I'm ready. I'm, the day I got my car, I was like, you don't mind me driving to California, do you? <laughs> Just like so happy. <laughs> and uh, so that that really gave me the experience I needed when it come, came to losing the stage fright or killing the stage fright and uh, being able to leave home and miss my family and friends but still, you know, perform completely at my full potential without you know letting my emotions get the best of me
0: that uh yeah i, I was going to say it, it, in in acting um for television or movies i mean it's a lot of takes it's close set but with music you've got to be entertaining right then right there yep. or you're gonna you're I gonna mean, hear about
1: yeah. it yeah i mean you get a rehearsal you know a a couple of hours before the show but yeah you're right as soon as the show starts it's like music's a lot like uh theater though so you know when the curtains go up you got one take you know
0: so are you more of an acoustic guy or do you prefer uh, a nice electric guitar
1: Uh, to be honest i have my acoustic guitar with me at all times i bring it everywhere with me but uh (laughs) i'm more about the hard rocking grungy metal crunchy guitars and double bass pedals you know
0: nice is that uh, henry the fifth is the name of your band correct
1: yeah correct uh i know a lot of the press that i've been seeing coming out lately has been talking about my band they're they're saying that i started henry the fifth but i didn't i started with a band called north show my grandmother passed away and i named the band after her um and then i went to a few other bands wolf brain and uh something with silhouettes and uh, i I landed with henry the fifth because i realized that it's really hard to find dedicated musicians who want to give up all their other goals for music you know like some of our our bassists were becoming nurses and doctors and our uh, our rhythm guitarists were going to college for other things so i just kept ending up by myself so i uh, my name is joseph henry poliquin the fifth and my parents always used to call me henry the fifth henry the fifth he used to get <laughs> mad at me Henry the Fit! so that's why I named my band Henry Fit, but that's where I'm at now. I'm in that band.
0: So, uh, so I take it. I, I tried to find some uh, some examples of your music, and I I found it somewhat difficult to track down. Would you where where can you find the the music that uh, that you play? Do you have like a website, or or do you have some uh, published albums?
1: Uh, I do. Uh, as far as fully published albums, not yet. I'm hoping, and I feel kind of it's silly saying this. A lot of people have said it, but like, I feel like movies are going to be like my leg in to the music industry. Yeah. And that's really what I'm hoping for because, uh, I want to get a fully produced full album. I have 300 songs, probably original songs I've written, but I do have websites where you can find demos that I've recorded with various friends or in my, even some of them are done in my living room on a MacBook um, and an iPhone even, but it's a SoundCloud and, uh, Reverb Nation. You can uh-huh. search for either HT5 or Henry V.
0: Fantastic. Um, would you kind of describe the sound of your band? You say you like that crunchy rock. Are you kind of a, a hard rock, a heavy metal? Uh, you know, where did do, where does your style fit in?
1: I would say my style fits in with like 2003 Warp Tour. Ah. Um, you know. So I don't scream much unless I'm really feeling a certain part of a song. Uh, there's a clip on my Instagram that one of my friends that I met on Greyhound actually commented on and was like, you're the next Jared Leto, which I'm flattered. But I'd <laughs> like to be the first Henry Fit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I would definitely say it's 2003 Warp Tour and it's a uh, post-hardcore, melodic, alternative, hard rock. You know, it's not technically grindcore metal, you know, it's kind of like Metallica, I think. Yeah. I'd sure. really compare it to Metallica.
0: That's always a always good ga- uh, a good band to put yourself in uh, in the same space as because uh, they right. they uh, they had some good uh, success uh, a lot been been around for a long time. Um, okay, so you you started with the music and then you kind of got into acting. Now I had seen that you had mentioned one of your inspirations for acting was uh, Johnny Depp specifically. Yeah, um, absolutely. So what about his performances sparked and inspired you to go, yeah, I kind of I want to do that too.
1: Honestly, um I got into horror movies at a young age because I was had a big crush on Drew Barrymore and my dad my dad let me watch Scream when I was like 9 years old and seeing Barry, Barrymore die was like heartbreaking to me. I was like, oh my God. And like, then I realized and I saw the behind the scenes and she's like covered in blood, but she's laughing and she's like, ah. And I was like, <laughs> well, yeah, it's all just acting. So like at a young age, I fell in love with horror movies. I was like, whoa, that's so cool. And so I started watching horror movies and I watched uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. And when Johnny Depp dies, he like gets folded in half and stuff. Yeah. When, he, when he dies, I was like, this guy, he, he he, I don't know. He just, he spoke to me. It was like, I thought of myself as like that's me when I get older. That's gonna be me in movies one day. I just thought of that, and uh, then I ended up watching Benny and June at a really young age. And Benny and June, he doesn't even barely speak in that movie. He barely, and like that's what's really cool. We'll talk about that I guess later. I, I'll compare that to something that you're gonna bring up later, probably. Right. Fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, definitely Benny and June.
0: Yeah, it's all it's all facial expression at that point. Yeah. Um. So okay. So you're you're looking at performances uh by johnny depp and some of these other people what is what is a single skill or aspect that you always kind of hoped to emulate from some of the some of the people that you'd seen that you wanted to kind of bring to life on screen
1: i mean really honestly it's it goes back to what i was just saying Uh, johnny depp and benny and june he was able to give a performance without tons of dialogue and you just you felt like you knew this person because if you meet people in real life and you you have friends you know that not all your friends are very talkative hmm. and there are some people in this world that can just be a good person with a very small amount of words you know right and uh and there, there aren't enough movies like that i think a lot of actors want heavy dialogue because they feel like oh the more i'm talking the more people will take me seriously and with me I, w- I would love to be you know i, I got lucky enough but I, I'd, be, I'd love to be in back then i was thinking i would love to be in a role where I could do some heavy acting and it not be about the dialogue. You yeah. Know? Right.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I got to backtrack for a second. I thought of this and then 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 I got, spaced it for a second. But I have to ask you. Said you're a huge horror movie fan. You watched uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Favorite horror monster. Oh,
1: Well. Hmm. Goodness. Does it have to be a monster? Or could it could just just be a killer. It could like be anything. Anything. That- okay. Okay, honestly, and this is not just, you know, it's not just biased because I know the people that created it, but Mr. Jingles, Mr. Jangles from uh, the new American Horror Story uh, season, last season, he is, he's got so much backstory, he's got so much, like, just emotions, and, like, you don't, it's not like one of those weird, oh, I feel sympathy for the killer kind of creatures. It's more like, I understand what drove him there, and then you, like, you're angry for him because he was, like, mind-controlled to do what he you know spoiler alert for the if you're not an american horror story fan then you didn't watch it already anyways yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it, it's been out for a little while i, I, I can expect yeah. that people know that
1: but other than him my favorite monster my favorite like monster wouldn't necessarily be a horror movie monster but yeah. it would be godzilla oh honestly
0: very yeah. nice yeah, the uh, uh, that one's got uh, a legacy that that uh, is kind of hard to ignore, and it's just there's a, there's a yeah. charm to it. Especially the early Godzilla films just had so much so much style, and it, it's hard not to to smile when you're watching. Uh, exactly. Some of those. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think Godzilla got me turned on to uh, Power Rangers when I was a kid because I loved seeing the people in the Godzilla suit. You knew they were wearing a suit, right. and you knew they were just like karate fighting with these other people in suits, and they probably just they probably felt so like goofy on set, just in these big suits. But it was fun to watch. So whenever Power Rangers came around, the monsters reminded me of Godzilla. And I was like, oh, I love this show.
0: And it just kind of comes through. It allows yeah. for a connection that you wouldn't expect would be there.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Okay, so kind of back to, to where I was kind of originally intending to ask. So this transition that, that you did, going from music to acting, it it would seem that it would be kind of a trial by fire conversion. What is something that maybe you were surprised about once you started into actually making uh, television and films so that you go, so I didn't realize that this worked in this way or it's like, oh, this is really neat. I had no clue.
1: That's a great question, man. You got some good questions already. Um, Definitely it is a trial by fire, especially because like when you're doing music, it's it's expressive, but it's also your expression. So the person who is performing is usually the person who, I mean, there are some artists out there that have other people write their songs, but for the most part, most artists have something to do with the songwriting, at least, you know, and it's coming from a personal place. But when it's in acting, you're taking someone else's expression, someone else's words, someone else's emotions, and trying to bring that to life. So... When I first got into acting, I wasn't really thinking I was going to be an actor. I was just on set as an extra, just getting, you know, getting my foot in the door and just looking at actual professional actors and what they do to get prepared or what they do you know to learn their lines or how they warm up on set. And I was learning so much from it, but I realized that the warm up before an actor performs, even though you can do multiple takes before they perform, the way they warm up behind set is just like warming up in music. You know, they're doing the the same blah, 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 blah. They're doing all the same warm ups to get there. You know, um, Tom Hanks actually taught me. I know I'm kind of like rushing forward, but Tom oh, Hanks taught me that if you uh, put your knuckle in your mouth and you talk over your teeth whenever you're trying to say words, it makes it easier to say the words because you've been practicing talking over your teeth. Hmm. And I used to do that with a cork when I was practicing for you know, a show singing, you know, in bands. I'd put a cork in my mouth and I would you know say the lyrics or sing the lyrics with cork in my mouth. So seeing him do that with his knuckle, I was like, "Why didn't I ever think of that?" Like I always was like, "Oh, I don't have a cork." <laughs> that,
0: that's that's crazy. It's something very small, but but super useful. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I, I I expect you probably learned more than like more than just the the acting uh, techniques and and the tricks um, because you were involved in the creation of Immurement, right? This kind of yes. uh, this kind of I think you call it a like a no budget <laughs> kind of a yeah. a film. Yeah, it's- Seems to be what I'm
1: good at, no budget features. <laughs> hey,
0: that's, 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 the, that's the key to the future, right? Because that's, that's everybody has a story to tell. And with the technology True. that we have now, <laughs> it allows us to kind of be connected in, in, in an easier way. But that had to also have been a real big learning process. What, oh, absolutely. What kind of went in to doing that? Uh, where did you find that the brunt of your effort had to go to get that to come into being?
1: Uh, the, the the brunt of my effort would have to be in casting because when you have a no budget film, that is the hardest thing to do. You can, you can find tons of people who've never been on a movie set who want so badly to just get that experience that they'll do it for free. And, uh, and I was doing it for free too. So I told everyone, I was like, look, I was like, there's going to be a day where I can't do free films. Because if you, if anyone here watching doesn't know about it, once you become a professional actor and you have all these agents and represents, you know, representatives and stuff, you, you, You can't do things for free. You can't. It's actually against SAG law. Like, you can't do things for free. So I was taking advantage of being a, you know, straight off the street nobody that could do this. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this for free. If you guys want to do this for free, let's do it. And I crewed up real quick. I got all the crew I needed. Everyone was ready to do it. But the actors, nobody wanted to act for free. Like, it was just impossible. Because if you want to find an actor that's good, you have to find an actor that's trained. And if you find an actor that's trained, they probably are too tired of doing free stuff. So that was the hardest part. We were looking for people who would, you know, act for free, but actually do a great job. And uh, we got lucky. We found an amazing cast. I don't think there was one actor. No, I take that back. I'm going to be completely honest. I'm not going to point this person out. There's one actor. There was only one actor in the entire film that just kind of phoned it in. It, but it, everybody else is on point.
0: I would think it would be, especially as the, the casts get larger and larger, it would be harder and harder to avoid at least getting somebody that's just kind of going through the motions. How, did, how would you compensate for that? How, in the editorial process or in the, uh, uh, the writing, how would you kind of work around that particular problem?
1: Well, I never thought I would talk about this on an interview, but uh, <laughs> um, I think she'd be flattered, though. I think she'd be flattered. And uh, if you're listening, you know, April, thank you for giving the best performance you can give. But we had an, we had an actress who was she was very interested in being an actress, but she'd never had any training. She'd only been an extra, and uh, we got her to come on board as a crew member. And she ended up doing locations and scouting and contracting. She did so much work that she said, "Please, can I audition?" for this role and i was like yeah sure and she auditioned for the role of our lead actress's mom and on the audition she did great she did amazing but if you this is a tip for uh, future actors out there when a director or a, a director of photography tells you eyelines or is trying to like make a mark for you to look at this place near the camera don't argue with them just don't <laughs> and uh so i tried to explain to her i was like look you're looking at the wrong spot you got to look at the spot. She's like, no, I know where the actress was sitting. I was like, that doesn't matter. I was like, we're at a different angle. It looks weird on camera. You have, sorry, someone just pulled up with the loudest music they could possibly play. And for no reason, it's, they just wanted to show us that they have a speaker system. It's,
0: it's reality. Anyways, it's miserable.
1: I know. Uh, but like, so yeah, so she, she had never had training. So she came in and she's like fighting me about her eye lines. And I'm like, we have to get this shot. I can't argue with you. You should never argue with a director. But so I was like, you know what? Fine. We shot it. We were, we were in editing that night because we were editing every night after shooting to try to get the movie done and put in festivals. And we we're editing that night, and my friend goes, "I don't know what we're gonna do, man. It looks like she's looking at the wall. It looks like she's looking at the wall. Like, what are we gonna do?" And I went, "We're gonna make her blind. <laughs> like, that's what oh, we're gonna do." Oh,
0: that's that's genius right there. That's
1: good. So, so yeah. So what we did is we, we added a line from the lead, from the lead actress in the movie about her mom being blind. And then when she came onto the screen and she was looking at different eye lines, it was like, it was perfect. It worked.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. See, and what I find always fascinating about this process, especially talking to filmmakers that are like, I've talked to all of the filmmakers that do this, but hearing stories (laughs) from filmmakers that have done it themselves, especially on a shoestring budget, um, like uh, Kevin Smith with uh, Clerks. Uh, anything like that, it, it seems like you kind of add a certain level of challenge to it that you wouldn't normally have, but it also kind of, it feels, it seems to me at least, that it would give you an additional sense of accomplishments once, because, I mean, it is literally yours. There is no yeah. no part yeah. of it controlled
1: by anybody else. Yeah, no big media or anything. I mean, it, it is definitely, they you do add level of challenge um and i think you're right like when you watch clerks you know he had nine thousand dollars he his car flooded he, so he sold the car to a scrap yard and he maxed out two credit cards and nine thousand dollars but his cameras were still very cheaply made cameras so they were like oh this doesn't look like a movie what are we gonna do so he made it black and white and that was like that was because of that yeah. challenge yeah. and if it wasn't for that challenge we wouldn't have clerks we it, clerks would be a different movie
0: you yeah. know and, and so, there's things like that that give you a chance to kind of blow people away. Because I know I was floored when I saw Clerks the first time. And it's that you come through into your filming more in that way than anything else,
1: right? True. I mean, for, for an example, on Immurement, we couldn't find anyone who wanted to play a dead body. So <laughs> me being the director of this film, <laughs> I, I wrote it, produced it, directed it, and shot it. And I had to set up the camera and get someone else to man the camera crawl into a body bag and have them drag me across the floor and throw me down a pit. So if you watch the trailer for meermint and you see the, uh, the killer who's, I mean, it's not a, it's not a mystery movie. You know, who the killer is from the first couple of scenes. So like when you see the killer drop a body into a pit and it falls down, that's actually me being dropped into this pit.
0: <laughs> that is fantastic. Um, <laughs> All right, so let's let's. I mean, you kind of uh, talked a little bit about this already, but I want to kind of um, expand on it a little bit. Uh, American Horror Story. So you had yeah. you had the you played a Carney, right? Um, I did. For for you're on a lot of a lot of episodes, but the thing that kind of sticks out to me, and I saw a little bit of this uh, uh, mentioned, is that you got some encouragement from a couple of really neat sources between uh evan peters for those listening who is not completely familiar with who that is i think quicksilver from the x-men movies or yeah uh, todd from kick-ass uh, kathy bates who is just a legend what is it that they were able to tell you that that kind of gave you uh, the push in the direction that that you needed
1: man i've been wanting to talk about this for so long because I, I i hope uh one day that evan sees this and he's like that's my boy (laughs) because like i I was on american horror story for seven months um i had a lot of good Facetime that got cut so i'm technically credited on imdb as an extra that's uncredited on the show but i'm on every episode because i was in every episode but it got cut i did not put those credits up those credits popped up on imdb one day and i've been trying to take them down for so long because i don't want people to see the episode not see me in it you know but it was such a good experience. And I'll say that like Evan came up to me one day. It was after him and Finn Whitrock did it and you can see me in that in that scene with them. Uh, him and Finn Whitrock, when Finn Whitrock is like begging to be part of the freak show and he's like, No, you're not one of us. Go home. Evan, it was just such a good performance that night. I was holding the door open for him and he was walking through and he's like, Hey man, he's like, You've been here for a couple of weeks at that time. He's like so, uh, how long are you gonna be with us? I was like, Oh, I'm gonna be here till day out. I was like, Day in to day out. I'm one of the main, you know, core. He's like, That's awesome. He's like, I've never worked with, you know, extras that are here the whole time. And I was like, Yeah, this is a really different type of job. I got lucky, you know. And he's like, Yeah, definitely. And then I was staring at his. Uh, he had lobster hands in that in that season. So I was like, Man, what do those feel like? Because like I've been seeing them and like what do they feel? Like? He's like, Oh, you want to touch him? So he let me feel his lobster hands, and they feel like foam, and they were like squishy, <laughs> kind of like a. Uh, I don't know, like this like like foam keychain type, you know, squishiness. Nice. And I was like, Man, that's crazy. I would have never guessed. He's like, So what are you doing? Uh you just want to be an extra or are you actually pursuing acting? I was like, Man, after seeing you and Finn rock like three feet away from me, doing that emotional scene all night, I was like, You guys inspired me. And I was like, I've never seen something like that. That was the first time I got to see that up close like that. I was like, That's it was awesome. He's like man, thank you. It means a lot to me. He goes, I started out the same way, just wanting to do it, going after it. He's like, you can do it too, man. And I was like, what? No. He's like, no, definitely. He goes, you definitely got the look. And he's like, you could do it, man. You could be an actor. And I was like, what do I do first? He's like, just go try to get headshots and an an agent. He goes, that should be your first goal. Headshots and an agent. That should be your goal. And I was like, all right, cool. And I, I worked and worked and worked and tried very hard to get headshots and an agent, but they were both very hard to get. You pay people for headshots, they give you crappy pictures. You go to an agent, Turns out he's a real estate agent on the side, so he's not even worried about you. So it's, like, really hard to do. I ended up – I was doing a scene. It was the last episode of that season, and I was sweeping the floor, sweeping right next to uh, Kathy Bates, and she had, like, a few lines. So, like, they were like, all right, everyone pantomime and be quiet. But they gave me a broom, and they were like, but you have to sweep. And I'm like, I have to sweep quietly? I was like, that's impossible. So here I am, like, trying my hardest to sweep the floor – we're making it look like I'm sweeping where the brushes, the bristles are like just barely missing the floor, so there's no sound. And then I'm doing it, and she's in the middle of her dialogue. It's going great, but there was one take out of like five. There's one take where oh. I, I like hit the floor and hit the bristle, and I could hear them go, God, And I was like, Fuck. I, don't I, can, I don't know if I can curse on this stuff. Like, oh, you're you know. just fine. Okay, well, I, I, I was like, I was so mad. And then like I walked by, and Kathy Bates made eye contact with me. And I'd been, you know, talking to her for months and stuff here and there. She made eye contact with me and she was like, you're doing great, honey. <laughs> like, she was like, you're doing great. And I was like, thank you. Months, or actually years and years later, she's talking to Erica Irving, who is, she's a reoccurring lead cast member on like three or four seasons now because right. of Freak Show. And, or like three seasons. And she's a great actress. And she's like, she played the tall lady in Freak Show. Well, she's talking to Erica Irving at a American Horror Story party and or an American Horror Story party. And she told Erica, how's everyone doing? Erica's like, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, currently making a movie with Joe. He was an extra on American Horror Story. He's doing really good now. And she was talking to her and she goes, oh, I loved the, those extras. I loved our core group of extras. There's only like five of us. She's like, I loved them. Everyone who, she said, everyone meant so much to that show. Even the ones that were sweeping the floor.
0: <laughs>
1: oh. And when she said that, it like blew my mind. I was like, "She still remembers me." I was like, "That's so awesome."
0: That is fantastic. because she, she seems like the the uh, the mom that you know I would always want to have every oh, time. Yeah, I
1: absolutely, there. man. Absolutely. Did you see it? Ah, uh, yeah. God, it's such a good show.
0: <laughs> uh, it's 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 really kind of inspiring, and a lot of it is just. Um, I, I, there's some unquantifiable something that, that, that people, uh, some people say that, that, that they just have it. And I don't think that's true. I think it's something that's developed. You just kind of bring it through as a, as a skill and, and, and it seems like that they have that. Um, so, okay. Okay. So, all right. I got to ask, especially because, um, you were on set with uh, Evan Peters, and he he's he's been in a couple of comic book movies, and a lot of what we focus on is comic sure. comic related, comic movie, comic television related. We tend oh, to cool, cool. tend to you know obsess about that just a little bit. So, are you a comic book fan at all?
1: I'm
0: a huge comic book fan. Oh awesome. Okay, so what what is your what is your meat and potatoes? Your your comic that you really get into?
1: God, Bloodshot was so awesome. I loved Bloodshot. I had Bloodshot as a kid, and whenever I heard that they're making a movie with Vin Diesel, I was like, that is perfect. You couldn't <laughs> pick a better person to play Bloodshot. Yeah. It awesome. My favorite comic of all time, though, is very underrated. It's where Bloodshot started. Do you remember?
0: Uh, that would have been... Didn't he guest in War?
1: Close. He did, but that wasn't the first one. Uh, uh. You'll never guess then. You'll probably never guess. Do you like video games?
0: I, I do like video games. But, uh, was it Turok? that he was in yep Turok yep see I've got it written down I actually have it because we have a database an ultimate comic movie database every movie that's just been there and it's there so I've got it written down but my brain is Swiss cheese on more than No,
1: it's (laughs) cool you said it you said I didn't give you the answer you said it that's awesome because like yeah no one's ever read the Turok comics every time I tell them they're like oh man I love Turok for N64 I was like yeah I love the comics they're like oh oh sorry hold on oh you're good you still there yep Alright, cool. But yeah, they're like, oh, what comics? Did they make comics after the game? I'm like, no, they made the games from the comics! That's the best part!
0: <laughs> that early Valiant was stuff was God. just golden. I mean, it, it yeah, had it so much neat stuff in it. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, so, okay, well, l- let's let's roll with that. Alright, you're a comic book <laughs> fan. Would you want to play Turok if they ever made a, a, a Turok movie?
1: Can Okay, if anyone's watching this, can you guys make it happen, please? <laughs> please? Like, I would be a great Turok. I'm part Native American. Uh, I, I, come on. I'd be a great Turok. I, I'll even, like, buff up for it. I'm out here exercising right now anyways.
0: You, you'll find somebody to, to, to coach you on uh, bow and arrow and uh, go the whole nine oh, yeah. yards?
1: Actually, I'm pretty good with a bow and arrow. Really? Already. Yeah. I think Turok actually inspired that.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's that's a skill I've tried several times, and I can get the arrow in the general vicinity of nowhere near <laughs> the target. So... <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> The, the, important, the important thing is to try, though. And on that note, I'm going to try and get you, the listener, to remind everybody around you that the Pudding Guys are everywhere on social media. Don't forget to check us out at Real Pudding Guys on Twitter, at Pudding Guys on Instagram and on Facebook, and even on Patreon, where for just $1 a month, you can support the Pudding Guys as we bring you new people to talk to, new equipment to talk into, and just generally upgrade the quality of the show. And in fact, coming soon I know I've been saying this for a little while but I've been working on it coming soon and hopefully August we're going to have something special that's going to come up that is not only a way to support us but to have access to a pretty interesting set of tools that nobody else has stay tuned
1: that's interesting
0: (laughs) yes we will be uh that internet uh that comic movie database we are expanding it it's going to be television shows you're going to be able to drill down we already have it so you can look who's the actor that's been the most comic book movies you can find out oh oh, cool i don't count silent movies i mean it's completely customizable but it's going to expand out it's going to be great
1: that's epic that's awesome we
0: have a lot of fun with it so And this kind of rolls into it, talking about comic books and powers, one of the projects that you're involved with kind of has something to do with that, with uh, the movie Project Power that's coming out, right? Yeah. Are you able to talk at all about that?
1: Um, There's not much that I even know about it right now. Um, The scenes that I got to shoot were amazing. Uh, I'm a funny character. I've got some action sequences. Uh, I got to work hand-in-hand with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And he gave me a big old bear hug at the end of the night, nice. or the end of the second night. He gave me a big bear hug, and he was like, thank you so much for just putting everything you have into this. And I was like, dude, this is great. It was awesome.
0: <laughs> Living the dream, right?
1: Oh, hell yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, the concept for that looks like it'll be a lot of fun. It uh, ha- allows allows the fun of um, kind of the superhero mystique without the problem of um, – How do I write for something where it has power creep? I don't know if you ever watched Heroes, uh, the the show Heroes. I have, yeah. Love that show. But as shows like that go on, you have uh, a harder and harder time creating a – Something original. Something original and something that's engaging. Like uh, well, what do we do when we've got somebody that just absorbs powers? Eventually we got to do something with them. And that kind of happens at every level. And I think that this movie, that Project Power – approaches that in a very interesting way. It looks like it could be pretty, so a too. lot of fun.
1: I think so, too. Um, and we, could, I mean, you can talk about the plot. The plot's public. Uh, it's about Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt teaming up to take a drug off the street that people have been taking that is called power, and it uh, gives the users superpowers. The unfortunate thing is, it sounds like a win-win situation, but the unfortunate thing is you could have the power of exploding. <laughs> you know, and just you could just blow up a street block without knowing it, and you don't know what your power is till you take it. So these people are taking it, not caring about you know what they're going to do to people around them. And so, Joe's Gordon Levitt is a cop, and Jamie Foxx is somebody who's went through a lot of trouble, I guess, with that drug. So they're both trying to get it off the street. It also stars Dominique Fishback from the Hit You Give. She right. is an incredible actress. She's she's phenomenal. She even wrote her own one woman play called Subvert It it's been she's been performing all over the country and uh, she's actually supposed to go across the across seas and perform it over there, too. So,
0: well, and it's, and it's got a lot of uh, comic book movie presence in that. I mean, Levitt himself oh, yeah. was in the, the Nolan Batman trilogy. And
1: uh, yeah, he oh, yeah, uh, and, the, and the writer of the script itself is the writer of uh, uh, Harley Quinn and uh, the bird spray.
0: Right. Exactly. And you yeah, know, Jamie Foxx was in the amazing Spider-Man sequel. Uh, Amy Landecker was Wait, in Doctor Strange, right. I mean, just so much cool stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of geeked about that one, but I'm also super geeked about Greyhound. Um, I have been a bit of a Tom Hanks fan for quite some time. Uh, how can you not be right? Yeah. It's um, a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh It seems that, uh, the, the topic of the film, uh, being centered around, uh, World War II, uh, there are a lot of World War II movies. What about this film sets itself apart, makes it its its own thing that why, why is this going to stand away from all of the other films, do you think?
1: And this is kind of cool. Um, we were talking earlier about like, uh, Benny and June and me really wanting you know I was dreaming of that part since I started with like you know the first couple of one-liners here and there and under fives here and there and uh I was just I was like man it, it felt like a challenge to get more dialogue you know if that's what it felt like it felt like the goal was just get more dialogue in everything I do and to me that didn't feel fun it felt like that was I was undermining or undermining the the idea behind acting in the first place which is just to portray emotions and get someone to feel something whether or not you're saying certain words or not you know and uh with this film a lot of the reviews came in and you guys can i wouldn't read the reviews yet don't spoil yourself in the movie because some of the reviews have spoilers right but a lot of the reviews are, have been like talking about how the dialogue is all realistic dialogue it's not you don't, you don't, you're not going to hear any cheesy, oh, what are you going to do back home whenever you get back out of the war? You're not going to hear any of that stuff that you wouldn't <laughs> hear in real life. There's no time for that. We're, you know, we, we went to boot camp for training to be in the Navy, and then we got thrown on a ship and with our captain. And these guys are the same way in 1942. They didn't have much training. They just got thrown onto a ship, and the war starts as soon as they hit the water because as soon as they get to the atlantic and they don't have air cover these u boats are going to attack and there's no time for talking about what you're you know what you're going to do when you get home you don't even know if you're going to get home so this movie's amazing because all of the dialogue i think is 100% accurate like it's exactly what you would have heard had you been on that ship with us and i think that's what i'm so excited about
0: now do you think that's an aspect of the approach of the the director or do you think that's more about the source material from the cs Forrester? novel oh it's a good shepherd
1: i think it's the source material to be honest i mean aaron if you if you watch get low aaron is an amazing director and he can do phenomenal things with no dialogue and i think that's why tom went for him the Movie's going to be different there's going to be a lot of just emotions facial emotions just you know like you, you don't need to hear everyone's backstory to understand this person's like me, you know, I think, and I think you really appeal to the person or the, the person appeals to you more. The character does because you don't hear their backstory. It doesn't disconnect you. I think it, it, it you, they could be anybody. They could be you, you know? And I think he knew Aaron was the perfect director for that because if you read the book, the book just, it starts off the same way that, you know, the movie does just action as soon as you open the first page and it's just, all war dialogue it's all that kind of dialogue and they don't even he doesn't even you don't talk to people by their names unless they're an exo or you know a commander you don't you don't say their names they're just they have a job and they know they're there to do the job and they're all one all 300 of us on that ship become one vessel and we all have to live and breathe together or if one of us messes up we all die so
0: so you did the uh the boot camp now was that um was that uh, just kind of uh, they tried to cram everything into it or is this okay this is how the navy works this is how you need to operate this is how a ship works how how in depth was this boot camp how interesting was it
1: well we were trained by Dale Dye the you know the legendary Dale Dye speaking of Johnny Depp I feel like I'm like 1 degree away from him now because <laughs> Dale Dye trained him on platoon and then he trained me on Greyhound, nice. but uh we were trained by him and they wanted to give us like a month of boot camp like they did with the guys on uh, Band of Brothers and what they did on Saving Private Ryan. But that wouldn't work with the actual story because in 1942, in World War II, yeah, you might have gotten a lot of training if you were in boot camp before the war started or if you were in boot camp to be you know, on the front lines because you had plenty of time before they got you there but when it came to these certain soldiers the people that were put on greyhound ships or the ones that were put on put on a, a Fletcher class destroyer and just sent out in the water those soldiers had a week of training tops so they didn't Man. know much yes yeah, so they gave us a, they gave us a three to four days of training and Dale Dye said you're lucky you're not here for a month but you're unlucky Cause I'm going to take that month of training and cram it into these four days or these three days. And I was like, this is going to be intense. And it was, we were up at three, 4 AM. The you're, you're sleeping in a bunk. My bunk was at the top. There's three bunks always in, like on top of each other. Right. My bunk is at the top. So my face is like right there <laughs> by the top of the, the, the roof and the ship on that level of the berth, And uh, my face is up there and there's, there's an alarm if you can imagine uh, let's see you see these speakers up here if you can yeah. imagine an alarm like that like a big blackson right by the oh, roof right in the face <laughs> and at 3 a.m in the morning <laughs> starts going off wakes us <laughs> up we're all we roll out of bed all try to get dressed try to put our cape packs on try to put our helmets on and uh i, I think we're, we're we're actually we're gonna do a uh it's not gonna be live but i, I know they're they're doing a premiere with us the day it comes out later that night. We're doing a uh, Zoom meeting with the entire cast. Nice. And I don't I don't want to tell the story before he gets to, so I'll just I'll leave it to Travis. But Travis, he's Travis Quentin. He's, he's, uh, you can see him on the the most recent Greyhound post on Apple TV's Instagram. He's in the behind the scenes with Tom. Uh, he's a great actor. He is a big guy. He's like 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, he's a big dude. And he, he rolled out of bed, smacked his head on the roof, landed oh. on the ground, busted his knee, and came running up into the quarters where we were at, at the, in the bridge. He came running up there wearing nothing but his boxers and a K-pack and a helmet. And he was bleeding from the head. And he's like, ow. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it was. Every morning was that. And then you're at your station. And then they're yelling down your throat to let you know, hey. And they were, even though we were doing boot camp on the USS Kit, which uh, is a okay. World War II museum. It's not really floating in the water. Right. But they were putting us through these drills like what if you know and like what if there's a u-boat out there and it's over here and someone screams out 087 what does that mean and you're like that way (laughs) like trying so hard to figure it out and then we we all we understood how to be good navy men you know we understood how to stand at attention and we and my my grandfather was a marine so i kind of caught on really easily you know but like we understood all that and we understood every name of every weapon on the greyhound you know the bofers and the you know this and that. But we didn't, we didn't understand the severity of, like, how dangerous it was. And that's what they wanted us to know. They wanted us to know everything we did know. And they threw us on this movie so that when we did our parts and we we're acting out these scenes, we we're thinking, oh, my God. Like, we, we didn't have enough training for this, you know. And our captain, this is his first time. He's not, he's not ready for this. We're all going to die. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's pretty much my feeling.
0: That's awesome. So, okay, so they trained you in the museum how much of the actual shooting was done on practical set and how much was kind of uh, post-production additive?
1: Everything with the extras, uh, all the weapon shots, the out exterior shots where you see extras loading K guns and stuff. That's all done on the actual museum. Nice. That's at the actual USS kid. Everything. When it comes to my scenes, when you see me or you see me and, me and Tom or the acting, that was all on a soundstage um i don't know if you like bleed in pictures with your interviews whenever you when you go live not often but but, uh, but sometimes not often well i'll share one with you and if you want you can share it on your instagram or something like that um but it's it's we have this picture i'm I'm gonna get it framed to put it on my wall because it's beautiful and we did everything on a sound stage in baton rouge um it was stage six and the the set was called a gimbal it was basically our own private roller coaster. It was insane, man. And it was like, oh my God, it was so cool. Like you walk up two flights of stairs, there's a bridge. Everyone walks across the bridge. We get in our places, you know, stand-ins all go back to to their their seating area. And then, they, you know, the makeup department comes in, last looks, look at our makeup and stuff. And then when they run back across the bridge, the bridge lifts up. And now there's only the director, the cinematographers, and the cast. And that's it. And we're on this, this gimbal that's moving like a boat that looks just like the USS Kid on the inside. It really does. But then they're like, gimbal and weather. Oh, I'm so glad I get to show somebody this finally. Oh, so Tom Hanks used to say this all the time because uh, they would shout it out whenever they would start the gimbal. They would say, gimbal and weather. We'd <laughs> start moving and they'd start spraying us with seawater and stuff. And uh, Tom was like, doesn't that just sound like a lawyer? <laughs> doesn't it sound like a law office? A law office of gimbal and weather. And it was cracking me up so bad. I was laughing so hard. I was like, dude, I'm never going to hear it the same again. And he, he was like, that's pretty good, huh? I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. And it was just such a funny little joke between us. And it was like it was only like Tom, me, and a couple other people on set. And he made that joke. And so at the end of the set, or at the end of the production, we were done, we rapped. He gave me a going away gift, like a thank you, you know, and it had a bunch of really cool oh. stuff, like a you now just like a bunch of really really neat stuff that I'll keep for the rest of my life. And one of the things was this challenge coin. If anyone here doesn't know, if you're in the enlisted forces, you'll get a challenge coin when you've went into war and you've went through the battle and you come home. They'll give you a challenge coin, and it's a really thick coin that you can carry around with you just to remind you of what you went through. And he gave us this one. It says "Playtone" on one side let me see if you can nice. focus on that he says "Playtone on one side Very yeah cool. come on there that's as good as it's gonna get but here's the other side it's got the ship on it, it says greyhound at the top and you can't really you can kind of see it at the bottom it says gimbal and weather
0: <laughs> and i was like i was like that
1: is so epic man it's so awesome
0: that is awesome so it's like almost being on your own universal park ride you know the the rides that are supposed to be a ride but it's not really a ride you're kind of all in the same spot
1: yeah, and it's way more dangerous too because it didn't, it didn't have as much of time to like be tested before they put us on it. And they told us this too to scare us. They were like, "Yeah, I hope the gimbal doesn't break. I hope the gimbal doesn't break." They just kept saying that to like get us nervous. And uh, Tom's really awesome. And one day, I'm on this thing, and he's behind the cameras, and the cameras are on us. And I think it's that shot they put on the Today Show this morning. But we, he's got the cameras on us, and all of a sudden, the whole gimbal just <laughs> like shakes. It moved scares the crap out of me i'm like oh my god what was that and tom tom's laughing he goes what was that and he walks off. And he acted like he didn't know what it was but he's laughing so i was like no he knows and i was talking to one of the construction workers that helped build the set and he was like yeah i was standing underneath that thing one day and it just it just made this real loud noise and it shook really hard and i thought it was gonna fall on me and the guy setting it up with the computer said no that's a simulated hit so they didn't want us to know and it was perfect so I can't wait to see that in the movie anytime you cool. see the ship get you know hit or whatever happens to it I'm not gonna tell you but anytime it happens you see our reaction it was like completely authentic
0: that is is really cool um okay so I'm trying to imagine myself being in your your place uh uh having taken the the training that you're on you're on you're you're doing uh you're doing your work but you're constantly interacting with kind of one of the greats of all time being tom hanks
1: totally. I,
0: I don't see how i would not just become so incredibly nervous did you have any nerves dealing it's like i'm i'm i'm, I'm working with tom hanks what, what do i do okay i got it professional professional
1: honestly, <laughs> honestly um i kind of and it goes both ways like tom he's definitely up there he's like my favorite actor so like I never thought I would act with them so soon in my career. Um, and I, I was, I kind of killed off some of those stage fright, nervous you know, feelings because i worked around a lot of celebrities all, already. And I, I see them as like, you know, they're another human like me. They started where I start. If I, if I, and I thought this too, I was like, if I treat them weird, if I, if it shows in my performance that I'm too starstruck, you know, star stricken, then it'll really mess up my performance, but it made it really easy with Tom because like I said, we went through all the boot camp with Dale first before we met him. And we didn't even know our roles. I didn't even know if I was going to have a name in this movie. I didn't know if I was going to say one line and that was it. Like, I had no idea how big my role was at the time because I was just like, I'm here with uh, in a movie with Tom Hanks. Cool. I'll say one thing and I'm completely okay with that. But then it ended up being, oh, you're here every day for three months and you have a name and you're next to Tom Hanks the whole movie. And I'm like, what the hell? I like, was just like, this is really big." So... When we met Tom Hanks, it was almost like we were meeting our captain on the ship, which is exactly how we would have felt as soldiers. You know, we this is our captain. He's going to keep us alive. He's going to do something great. And he's going to get us across this gigantic ocean alive. And we have to trust him. We have to. So we didn't really get a chance to hang out with him and talk to him until we'd already filmed for like two months. So like we like anytime I was talking to him was like I'm on set and yeah like between scenes or at lunch I'd be like hey man how's it going and he's like you're doing great today man thank you for being here Pelican you know and they had a nickname for me and stuff so it was like it was cool knowing him it really was but I didn't get to actually pick his brain or just talk to him about like normal things until we'd already done the the beef you know the bulk of the movie and we knew oh the rest of the scenes we're doing we can kind of take it lightheartedly, you know, this, this is the moment where my character would have been able to take a second to talk to his captain, you know, off camera. But like, even though when Greyhound starts out, it's like from start to finish, you're in the middle of the battle with us. You know, there, there is no break, but in reality, my character for brick would have had before the battle started would have had a minute or two to catch up with the captain, you know, and I had plenty of time like that. And after the first two months, I was able to talk to Tom like, all day about just everything, just random, you know, nothings. But I think if it wasn't for the fact that I didn't get to know him well until we started filming, I think that my character would have been too comfortable with him, you know? And I needed to have that. I needed to have that weird, that weird, uh, what's the word for it? Uh, Separation between soldier and captain, you know? There needed to be that. He wasn't just a star. He was also keeping us alive, yeah. So well, it didn't. It
0: didn't hurt it. Well, and there's always that separation between enlisted uh, members and and those that are officers. So there's always that that kind of yeah, break. Um, how <clears throat> how hard? Um, I mean, this was always going to be like a Netflix film, right?
1: Oh, no, 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 no. no. Uh, power. Sorry. Power was going to be a Netflix film. This film is actually slated to be released in theaters.
0: See, like I said, Swiss cheese. (laughs) (laughs) It happens sometimes. Um, So what is, um, have you been involved in like kind of the red carpet side of it once something gets released up until this point, or is this going to be kind of your first foray into that?
1: Well, I've been to red carpets. Um, Most of the time it was because I knew somebody that was working on a movie and they were like, hey, I need need a guest. And they would bring me to it. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's this person, that person. And then uh, I was also there for like the uh, American Horror Story parties for their premieres for a freak show. But I was never one of the cast for those things. I was always just like, oh, I'm there. That's that guy from set. You know, like I was never part of the cast. So this actually was going to be my first big red carpet you know, premiere that I was one of the lead cast for the, or the supporting lead. And I was excited about it. I really was, but you know, COVID messed that up and that does suck. But at the same time, Tom's right. Uh, even though we're not going to be able to see this released officially on, uh, theaters, I think the movie is going to be seen by a lot more people this way, because for the price of one or two movie tickets, you can take your whole family, you know, and, uh, you can have your whole family sitting in, in their living room. And I also think that the movie's so powerful and what I've been seeing from a lot of the reviews is that people want to see it in theaters so bad. So as soon as they allow us to get back into theaters, I wouldn't be surprised if someone just rents out a theater and plays this movie because they want to. So there is going to be opportunities Good. for people to see this. I mean, they, they bring Jurassic Park back to theaters every other year, you know, so I, I believe that they'll do it. I think they will. I think it'll be crazy. It might be, it might be one of those things where people have been craving to see it in theaters,
0: you know? Well and that and, that's, and that was kind of where I was going with it. It it's it's um it's it's nice. I mean, I've got a large enough TV. A lot of people have a large TV now, but it's it's sure. not it's not the same as when you can kind of be immersed in in kind of the entire environment because like you were talking about the yeah. whole thing. You're supposed to be kind of nervous and you're supposed to be kind of this is I'm supposed to put you on the edge of your seat. So in in a in, yeah. a, in a theater environment, I mean, you get that and and it, it I was kind of hoping that it's it's going to be one of those instances where people will be able to get to see it in that kind of an environment. And then you get that red carpet thing where you are, everybody's come to to ask you what are you wearing and uh, <laughs> what 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 uh, yeah, what, and you're like, I just think that would be for something like this. This it, I have a feeling that this could be a pretty um, something that's going to carry on, not be kind of a, a movie that comes out and everybody forgets about it, uh, a I year think so later. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of excited about this. All well, right. Thank you. So one final thing about Greyhound, is there any kind of, um, thing that you learned? Uh, I, you said you had a grandfather that was in the Marines and Marines and Navy yeah. are not exactly apples and apples, but close in some respects. Did yeah. you, did you learn something through either the training or in the creation of the film about the Navy that, that you didn't know, and that's going to kind of stick with you This like, wow, I had no idea that it worked this way.
1: I definitely did. Um, my grandfather, like I said, he was a Marine, but he always scared me as a kid. You know, I, all I thought about when it came to war or fighting was just like, oh, people are dying and that's scary. You know, that's all I thought about. And when we were learning from Dale Dye, there was a night he used to make us uh, these things called monkey fists, which he would like he would weave. He said, "This is all you could do when you're out on the ship. You're bored, and, and especially in the '40s, there's you no know, games and video games. So you just you would weave little things and make things for people. You just you know just out of boredom." So he was one night he was making me one, and he was like he's weaving it, and he was talking to us. And it was like me, Tom, Brittany, and a few of the lead cast like like circled around him while he was making these things, and he handed it to me, and he goes, "Here, you do a knot." So I did one of the knots and he goes, and hand it to Tom. So I t- handed it to Tom Britton. He did a knot. And he was like, every one of the crew members made a knot in this monkey fist. And then he gave it to me. And he's like, he's like, I want, you, I want you to keep this. I want this to be important to you. I was like, it will be. And he goes, do you know why? And he said this, he goes, do you know why it's so important that every single person on this ship comes together, regardless of what their past is, regardless of where they came from, we're all Americans or we're all fighting for America. And he's like, and one thing we try to do is make sure that no one, no American citizen has to die for their country because we put our lives on the line. And we we are basically pleasing these warmongering, uh, warmongering, what do you call them? Uh, God, I can't remember the name they use for it. Basically, he was, he was saying that even the people that are in the Marines, in the Army, in the Navy, they know that war is bad. And they they don't want it to happen. They don't want war. And that's what I never understood. I always thought like the the Navy and the Marines would like brainwash you into thinking that it was important, that you know you need it war. But no, the people that are in it, even the even the sergeants, even the XOs, they're sitting there yelling down your throat and they're like, We don't want you to die. We don't want war. We want to end war. They're like, so that's something I learned was the Navy is not a government. Controlled, you know, mind control program like we all think it is. It is a, a conglomerate of people that live in this country who don't want their families to have to go to war. So they go to war for them. And they have our best interests in mind.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that is a, a, a fantastic sentiment that uh, often I think uh, just escapes people that uh, we're, it's, really intended to bring together not to not to pull apart and doesn't always end up that way well as we wind down here i wanted to make sure i give you a chance is there anything that you want to give a shout out whether it be uh you've got a performance with your band coming up or anything else that you want to kind of bring to people's attention to make sure that we don't miss
1: well uh besides telling people to watch greyhound on apple tv plus this friday apple tv plus gives you a free trial so if you have a roku you can get one of those from walmart and you can plug it in your tv or a smart tv you can watch apple tv plus and it's and it'll be free for you to watch greyhound if you haven't signed up yet <laughs> um but other than that there's one other movie i'm in that should be coming out hopefully this year if not early next year it's called all my life it's the true story of a woman who went through such just such a crazy experience um her with her husband and uh i don't want to give away anything about it it's a true story though so you can find out about it it's directed by mark myers he did my friend Dahmer and we summon the darkness mark myers is a great director so uh, i think you're gonna love the movie and i think if you like the notebook this might be your your new favorite movie
0: another comic book link there it's kind of crazy well i will definitely be watching that one myself and hopefully all the other putting people will uh will endeavor to do the same i want to thank you so much for taking the time to uh talk with us today i hope you had a good time that oh, was awesome and uh we would definitely love to have you back again here in the future
1: definitely maybe after power like oh. you know, like you said very comic booky so
0: i'm definitely looking forward to that thank you again
1: thank you for the awesome questions